Good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. It's good to see a number of visitors. We're glad you're here, and we hope that you will come back and visit again with us whenever you have the opportunity. What you will find, I believe, if you come back and make this a regular place to, to come, is a group of people who simply seek to follow Jesus and to love each and every person that we meet along the way. So if that sounds like something that's appealing to you, then I think you already know where we hope you will come and join in that walk to follow Jesus. This morning, we're going to be looking at some verses from the end of John chapter 4 through the early part of John chapter 5. And I'm really going to let simply the text teach us this morning to make a few comments along the way. I've been doing this scattered throughout the last several months by having lessons at various times out of the Gospel of John. And I think this is really important because the important question is going to get asked by Jesus. We saw it in the reading a moment ago. Do you want to be healed? So let's take a look at what leads up to that question and what happens afterwards. So starting in John 4, beginning in verse 46. We read, So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. He did that earlier in the Gospel of John. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum, which is not too far away from Cana of Galilee. When the nobleman heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for his son was at the point of death. So here's a nobleman, a rich person, a person of position, who comes to the son of a carpenter. Son of a carpenter. So how strange would that likely have appeared to the nobleman's friends? You know, I mean, social distancing was prevalent in the first century for different reasons. Very strongly divided into classes, you hung around people, you associated with people of various positions born into them or uh, worked your way into them, but their society was very uh, segregated in that sense. This group of people hung out together, interacted with each other, and this group did, and this group did. So here's someone who has crossed the lines to come to the son of a carpenter. Now Jesus, of course, has a reputation that's growing, and that's the reason the old one comes to him, but if you were born into a certain group of people, you essentially stayed in that group of people. So here is this nobleman who comes to the son of a carpenter and asks a question. Did the nobleman care that he had come to someone who was in a different societal class and cut the call? Not at all. He doesn't care who Jesus is the son of because his son is sick and at the point of death. So what does Jesus say to him? Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. I suspect very strongly that this may very well have been for the benefit of those who were around Jesus or those who were around the nobleman, because it could have been wanting to make sure people quit coming to him every day, every other day, looking for some special work or miracle. Uh, but it may also have been a test for the nobleman himself to see whether he really believed. You know, sometimes a strong question back may kind of make someone decide to change their mind and not really ask for what they were asking for because 
they really were just throwing it out there and they really weren't certain or believing that it was going to be uh, something they would be granted. It's hard to know whether Jesus is asking to see whether the faith of the nobleman that Jesus can do something for his son is real or whether it's meant for the people around him. But Jesus makes this statement, unless you all see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. What is the noble man here for? He came a good distance. This is not a you know, 10 minute walk because his son was at the point of death. Well, if you're a parent, right, and one of your children is sick, you're not gonna be deferred or have your course changed very easily at all. And so I strongly believe this nobleman would have been willing to walk anywhere if he thought there was an opportunity for his son to be made well. Here is a nobleman in some ways as well who refused to be discouraged. Uh, the nobleman said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus sees the faith. He did not turn away, did not walk away. He could hear it in his voice, as it were. And so Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. Jesus changes and doesn't do what the man had wanted. The man said, sir, come down to see my son. Physically come with me. Make the walk from Canaan to Capernaum. Make that walk and come because my son is sick. And Jesus says, go back. Your son lives. He believed what Jesus told him. And he went his way. Now as he was going down, he leaves Cana, right? And goes down toward Capernaum, returning back home. His servants met him saying, your son lives. Your son lives. What a relief that must have been to the nobleman. So all that the nobleman had was Jesus's word, the son would live, who turns and leaves, and the faith that what Jesus, when Jesus had said something was good enough for him, and it's proven true on his walk back. Then he inquired of the servants at the hour that his son had gotten better. And they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. He himself believed and his whole house believed. Now, when you go back to this, the seventh hour and yesterday applies, really does say it was not a 10 minute walk to get from where his son was to where Jesus had been. So he had a long walk ahead of him. I want you to stop and think about that again. You seek out Jesus. You leave your son who is sick at the door of death. You leave it to go on the hunt for Jesus. Perhaps at least several hours away. There was a day in between right there. That's a demonstration of faith on its face, on its by itself right there. And then hearing Jesus say, go your way, your son lives, and leaving without Jesus in tow, is another demonstration of faith. And there's no indication that the servants found him two minutes after he left Jesus, right? Jesus tells him this, the nobleman turns and starts going back to where he came from. You know, if the servants found him a minute and a half after he left Jesus, ah, oh, Jesus' word really is true. My son lives. It had to have been 
I would have suspected some time between when he left Jesus to when he hears from his servants. That's the period of time where I, I can't help but imagine that the nobleman's wondering, have I really made the right choice here? I left Jesus. He said my son would live. What if he isn't? What if he doesn't? I didn't bring Jesus back the way I wanted. That's always the case when you've got a child that's sick. Have I made the right choice? Have I done what I could do? In this case, he's met, and the relief would have been just overwhelming that his son lives, and it's the same hour, the same hour that Jesus said, your son will live. And that story, the recovery of the child, the nobleman's testimony, not only does the nobleman believe, but his whole house believes. Uh, again, think of this man's walk home. Had his son already died? Was there really any hope in this man, Jesus? I heard the stories. Is it true? What a tremendous day he had to have had when he got back. Then this co comment from John. This, again, is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. And the first had been that sign he performed at the wedding feast in Canaan. After this time, this is where we had read a moment ago. After this time, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is a Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Now, if you're looking at uh, your, your Bible, if you're looking at the text of John 5, you may find an asterisk, you may find a mark or whatever by verse 4 in John chapter 5, because verse 4 is not included in a lot of translations. In fact, it may simply go from verse 3 to verse 5, uh, because it does not appear, verse 4 does not appear in the oldest manuscripts of the New Testament that we have. The scholars, the people whose lives are, are all about that kind of thing, really seem to think that that was included, inserted later, because it shows up much later. It wasn't in the earliest. Perhaps because somebody was trying to explain why all these sick people were lying around, sitting around by this pool of Bethesda. So this verse 4 is not thought as original. The story and what Jesus does and the importance of it does not change on the basis of that. But that may be why your copy of the Bible doesn't have verse 4 in chapter 5. So, again, the water is stirring and people jump in when the water churns. And so, why would they do that? Why does the water churn? Verse 4 is inserted to say that an angel came down periodically and stirred it up. And that's the verse that's not in some of the translations because it may be that somebody put that in to help explain what wasn't clear, even though it doesn't seem to have been original. We don't really have any idea why verse 4 shows up later. We'll move on because, again, that's not the central part of the story. Now, a certain man had been by this pool, picking up in the next verse, who had an infirmity, had been sick 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Of course he did. Do you want to get better? No, thanks, but I'm okay where I am. Of course he wanted to get better. You know, if you were 
ask that question. You might not respond the way that this man does. You might respond perhaps kind of like I just did. No, I'm good. You know, more of a cynical or, or irritated uh, response back to him. But the sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no one, no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, while I'm trying to get over there, while I'm trying to get into the water that's stirred up, another one steps down before me and maybe takes up the space or, you know, gets to feeling better. And by the time I get there, maybe the water's not coming. You know, in 21st century, removing the idea of an angel stirring up the waters, which is what's in that verse 4, but may have been added later. Maybe it simply was like a, uh, you know, a, a jacuzzi or some kind of a hot tub. It might make people feel better by the waters being stirred up with all the bubbles. No, no. But this man says, I can't get in before somebody else does, and so I, I don't get the opportunity to have any of the beneficial effects of these pools. His answer to Jesus. Note this. What is his answer to Jesus' question? Jesus asked, Do you want to be healed? What does he say? He gives reasons why he can't be healed. I've never noticed that until I was prepping for this. That's why I wanted to share it today. He's asked, Do you want to be healed? And he says, Well, I can't. Because. back to Jesus says to him after his explanation, I can't get in the water and somebody beats me to it. Jesus says to, said to him, rise up, take your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. He doesn't seem to concern himself with the thoughts or superstitions of the day. He's not concerned with the jacuzzi or whatever's going on in the water over here. He cuts right to the heart of the matter knowing that this man needed grace and mercy to be given to him so that he could be cured. If you want to be made spiritually well, if you want to recover from a spiritual illness, you need to look to what Jesus says. You need to look to what Jesus says. Look at the next little statement. And that day when Jesus does this was a Sabbath. Oops. Oops. On the Sabbath, you weren't supposed to, according to the Jewish laws and the Jewish beliefs, do any work. And people watching Jesus are not exactly happy that he's done this thing, even though it's a good thing, on the Sabbath. So that's going to cause some trouble. The Jews, therefore, said to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. By the way, the Greek word for bed, he's not carrying a queen-size bed or something like that. It's really more a pallet. Think of some wood to keep him off the ground, right? He's carrying whatever he was laying on. Something to lay on. That's what he's carrying around. One would think that having cured somebody who had been sick for 38 years would be a thing to be happy about. Yet, some respond to almost anything with objections and gloom. The man who's carrying his bed had just done that, remember? Jesus had asked him, do you want to be healed? And he had responded with all the reasons why I can't. Jesus heals him, and what happens next? The next group of people that he encounters are responding with objections and things about why this should not have occurred. Gloom and doom, you might say. The man who was made well answered him, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Now if you think about that, 
If you're going to find a way to get me up and walking when I haven't walked for 38 years, and you tell me to take up my bed, I'm going to do it. I don't care what day of the week it is. Right? Because whatever the Sabbath is or is not, and whatever is allowed on the Sabbath or is not, this is obviously the power of God that has just worked to make me able to walk. And so the one who can do that kind of thing is allowed to tell me to take my bed and walk, really is what the man says. The response is clear. You know, he can certainly tell me to carry my bed if he can heal my disease that has kept me from being able to do this for 38 years. It's another example of what we're talking about here. It's another example of people having made rules and regulations, laws where God did not. We are always wanting to do that. And I really think sometimes it's because we just think God needs a little help. What kind of, of hubris, what kind of arrogance is that to think God needs our help, so we've got to make some few extra rules and regulations? Jewish people did that. If we're not careful, we can fall into that trap and try to do that ourselves. Then they asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Jesus made the healing statement to the man. The man's all excited, gets up, takes up his bed. Jesus kind of slips into the background. So I, I don't know. I don't know who did it. He's not here. I don't see him. I don't know who he was. A little bit later, Jesus found the man in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Can sinful behavior cause illness? Absolutely, it can. It can cause illness from immorality, doing things we shouldn't be doing. It can cause illness from drinking and eating things that we shouldn't be doing. Sinful behaviors can affect our physical health. They also affect our spiritual health, our relationship with God. There's no indication that this man had sinned, and that's why he was physically ill. But it could be much worse to be physically well and then use that wellness that we have to live in a way God doesn't want us to. See that you sin no more, lest something worse. There's something worse than being unable to walk, being unable to get up for 38 years. And that can happen when we are living in a way God doesn't want. Had the man's previous condition caused his illness through sins, had it been caused by sins? Maybe, don't know. But regardless, future outcomes could in fact be worse. Sin affects every part of us. We need not to And it's much more serious than we often think about. You know, it's not really that bad because I can do, I'm just doing this one thing, and after all, I mean, it's dark, nobody's around. What's the harm? What's the harm? I don't know what the harm is. You don't find out the harm sometimes until after you've done something. And then it's too late. Jesus said, sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Now, this is actually the last slide, so I'm going to put it all up here and we'll talk a little bit about it. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. I'm really not sure I blame this man. It's got to be hard to be such an illness for 38 years, unable to walk. 
you're going to have probably heard every miracle cure that can come along. They didn't have the infomercials that sometimes show up on TVs, but that would never have stopped somebody from trying to tell this man about snake oil or whatever it is. And so when Jesus comes up to him and says, do you want to be made well? I'm sure he's like, great. And what is this? The juice of the papa plant or something that I'm supposed to put on my head three times a day? Yeah. Who in the world knows what he was thinking? But we've got to stop taking negative approaches to questions. Do I want to be made well? Don't give reasons why you can't. Look for reasons where we can. You know, there was a politician a couple years ago whose phrase used to be, yes, we can. I'm not delving into political, but that's not a bad approach to life. Find ways to say we can do this. We can help. We can serve other people rather than can't do it. Saying can't is really easy because they don't have to think about it anymore. Finding a way to say, I can help. I can serve God can be a much more difficult response to a question. So, whatever our illness, physical, spiritual, Jesus is the answer. Now, I really don't think that any of us here at Lindsley Avenue have the power to heal a physical ailment. My hands can't do it. I don't, I don't think that's the way God works in our lives today. I don't. There are plenty of doctors who are much more capable than any of us here. I'm not talking about physical illness today. Because did you notice what Jesus said to the man? He had already healed him physically. What did he tell him? Sin no more lest something worse come upon you. What we're focused on today is avoiding the worst outcome than something physical. So I want to ask you, if you're a member of God's family, have you been living in a way that reflects your following Jesus? Does your life show that you love God and you love your neighbor? Or do I need to refocus my attention on following after Jesus and putting my life back on track? Only you know the answer. If it needs to get back on track in just a moment, we're going to sing a song where we will be more than happy to pray to God, not only to ask forgiveness for you, but for all of us, that we will live our lives more like the follower of Jesus and let that little light shine everywhere we go. More important in some ways still is if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you're not yet someone who has said, I'm going to quit living for myself and I'm going to live for God. I'm going to quit doing the things that God wouldn't be happy with me doing. And I'm going to do my best to love God and love my neighbor. And as part of that, I'm going to show that I'm dying to my old self by being immersed in water right behind me so that you can be raised to walk in newness of life. But all those past sins washed away. We can do that this morning too. Do you want to be healed today? The choice is yours if we stand and sing.